Now, anyone who has lived with a chronic pain condition or perhaps even suffered temporary severe pain due to injury or illness knows how utterly debilitating it can be, not just physically, but also mentally. And while pain medications can help, many come with a major risk of addiction. You only have to look as far as the USA's opioid crisis to recognize that. So I was really intrigued to read about some advances in alternative pain management techniques, uh, non-pharmaceutical techniques, if you like, and to hear that a local physician has actually undergone training in a new technique technique that has potential benefit for chronic pain management. And I'm really delighted to have her with us in studio today. Her name is Dr. Karen April. She is a pain management physician based at the New Era Health Practice in the Foreshore. Uh, Dr. April, having obtained her medical degree at UCT, went on to do a postgraduate diploma in primary emergency care and has over a decade of experience in emergency medicine and surgery, uh, working in both government and private hospitals. Uh, It's wonderful to have you with us. Welcome. Hi, Pepe. Thank you for having me. Karen, I know up until about 2021, you were actually working primarily in surgery. What was it that made you decide to shift your focus so much into pain management? Well, it was really the COVID pandemic. So Mm. I was quite focused on surgery at that time. Um, I was becoming a general surgeon. And unfortunately, um, while working in a hospital in KwaZulu-Natal, I myself contracted COVID um, and also infected my dad. We both ended up in hospital together. And unfortunately, he passed away. I'm sorry. And um, that really changed the trajectory for me because I had to reassess my priorities. And um, I actually am from Cape Town originally. So I think it was quite a huge blow for our family. And I decided to relocate back here and actually take a bit of a break as well just to... you know, process the grief, I would say, because I was really close to my dad. Um, And during that time, it's when I really found pain as a specialty and decided to focus on that. Um, And I started working exclusively with patients with chronic pain. And I found that my experience in emergency medicine and surgery, where most of the presenting symptoms are pain, whether it's acute or chronic, um, I could actually help patients manage their pain without invasive surgical procedures Mm -hmm. by doing training in minimally invasive interventional pain procedures, plus numerous other Okay, really fascinating background. And again, I'm so sorry for the loss that led to it. But I bet there are a whole lot of patients who are so grateful for that trajectory change. Karen, because I know from previous conversations that the management of chronic pain conditions is, it's a lifelong challenge, isn't it? Yes, it is. And often I explain to patients that pain is very similar to grief. You can't tell when someone is grieving and you can't really tell when someone is in pain except by asking them. So I think it's bittersweet in terms of what happened, but it's actually made me a much better doctor because I Mm. can relate to my patients a lot more in understanding how they feel in terms of visibility and having a doctor who's actually listening to them, who's able to hear them and believes them when they say they're in pain. Even if all of the imaging or laboratory studies say otherwise, I always believe the patient and try and manage them individually. Uh, I'm just, I mean, I'm I'm smiling and delighted hearing those words because that is the recurring theme we've heard so often that I have, you know, my doctor thinks I'm faking it. My doctor thinks I'm over-exaggerating my symptoms. I've been turned away and told there's nothing wrong with me and that it's all in my head. It must be life-changing for those patients to have somebody say, I believe you, now let's do what we can to help you. Yeah, and I think it's the most important part of my practice for me because it's mutually beneficial and the relationship that the patient has with their doctor goes a long way in actually determining the patient outcomes as well, no matter what type of management they're having, whether it's conservative, medical, minimally invasive, even a surgical procedure. It's the relationship with their doctor that determines how successful that procedure is actually going to be. 
Now, Karen, let's talk a little bit about pain in general before we focus on the new procedure that, that you are, are, are doing such wonders with. Our understanding of pain and how it manifests is, is complicated and I know it's still not fully understood. Yeah. Am I right in saying that? 100%. So a lot of patients, uh, even doctors, I mean, we were looking at this recently, but globally, internationally and in South Africa, undergraduate training for medical doctors, it's about four hours of training on pain medicine. In total? In total. So if patients feel lost in their pain, there's a lot of doctors, including primary healthcare providers, who have only had four hours of training on the subject. So I always explain to patients that pain is, it's not only biological, there are psychological and social components. Um, The international study for pain, the definition is that pain is actually an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience, whether there is perceived or actual tissue damage or injury. So that's very important to understand because it's both a sensory and an emotional experience, Hmm. which means that it's entirely subjective. Everyone's experience of it is going to be different. And it's there are numerous factors from genetics to someone's upbringing to what they've been exposed to, their culture, how they've been trained to deal with pain or to cope <laughs> with pain that will determine their experience and their coping skills. So it's very, very interesting for me meeting different people from different backgrounds and seeing how they manage different pathologies or the same pathology, but their experience of pain is totally different. So now, of course, that brings us to the elephant in the room, men and women and how they experience pain, <laughs> Karen. <laughs> okay, as somebody who's been through childbirth twice, I'm going to fly the flag and say, I suspect that perhaps many women are able to bear pain more than men are. But is that because we've been socialized to be that way or because it's physically and genetically necessary for us to do that to procreate and continue the species. 100%. I do find that women have a higher pain threshold than (laughs) men. However, actually, in terms of chronic pain, it's actually more problematic because ignoring pain, although Mm. acute pain is protective, it tells you that there's something wrong in the body and it forces you to take action to either avoid that pain or to, to protect that specific body part. However, if you constantly ignore the pain and push through that persistent input into the spinal cord and the brain leads to the development of neuroplastic changes, which basically means that your brain forms a neurosignature of this pain and it becomes really good at interpreting this pain to the point where you can experience pain without any input from the periphery at all. So it is actually a risk factor for developing chronic pain. So the majority of my patients are female. um, Mm. So yeah, but... So don't ignore the pain where it starts. So don't ignore the pain where it starts. Prevention is always better than cure. Sure. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit more about the particular process of neuromodulation, which is showing so much promise. And I know this, I'm going to say it's a, it's, it's a new technique, but this isn't a new field of research. I, I know pain implants with electrical pulses, etc., have been done since the 60s, I think, already. Yeah. What is it about this particular technique that is, is so exciting? So I think it's important for people to understand what neuromodulation actually means. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But basically, uh, neuromodulation can be chemical, it can be electrical, which is the one that's most popular at the moment. Um, But using any form of energy that can be ultrasound or electric to basically alter or repair the way in which nerves carry signals to the spinal cord and brain. So electrical neuromodulation, as you say, actually dates back thousands of years. Oh, really? Yes, actually. um, It was fish initially, electric fish, like electric eels or electric catrays that were used to manage pain. So nowadays, obviously, when you go to your doctor with a headache, they're not going to put an electric eel, hopefully not, onto your head (laughs) or put you in a foot bath with an electric catray, you know. Um, But we are using the exact same type of technology. So we're using electrical impulses with a device to modulate the way that nerve carries a signal such as pain to the brain. 
So we are able to interrupt that pain signal without damaging the nerve entirely, and we're able to do this without any form of invasive surgery, which is groundbreaking for patients with chronic pain. That's incredible. Pain. So tell us, in, in, in practice, what does that kind of treatment look like? If a patient came to you and said, please, will you, will you try this on me, what would happen yeah. to them? So what I always emphasize to patients with pain is that the di- their diagnosis is most important. Mm-hmm. So one is finding a healthcare provider who specializes in pain and understands the different pain mechanisms, making sure that your initial diagnosis is correct so that we can formulate a treatment plan that is correct for your underlying pathology. Right? Yeah. Now, neuromodulation is one of many treatments that can be used. It is becoming first line for certain disorders like primary headache disorders. It is also becoming now a first line for the treatment of arthritis for cervical oh. spine and uh, mechanical back pain. So, the majority of patients that I actually see at my practice, they're coming with chronic lower back pain, they're coming with neck pain, they're coming with headache syndromes. So, these patients are prime candidates, especially if after imaging we've ruled out any red flags any dangerous pathology that will require surgery, of which there's very few, mm-hmm. um, and then it makes them a candidate for actually electrical neuromodulation. So these are the type of patients that actually will benefit. Primary headache syndromes, back pain, neck pain, and any patient who's had chronic pain, whether that's a knee or shoulder, who either is post-surgery or wanting to avoid surgery or is high-risk surgical candidate or high-risk anesthetic candidate because most of these neuromodulation procedures can be performed under sedation only, which is a huge plus. From okay. an anesthetic point of view. That's a hugely important point. I just want to say for those who might have joined us late to the conversation, my guest in studio with us is Dr. Karen April. She is a pain management physician who practices on the foreshore, uh, obtained her medical degree right here at the University of Cape Town and has also had extensive uh, um, s- uh, experience in emergency medicine, talking to us about the treatment of chronic pain. I did a bit of reading in advance of this interview, Karen, and, and I came across several articles in Lancet and the like, which, which sort of said we need more studies, we need more um, evidence-based sort of proof of these techniques, etc. It sounds like there is a lot more happening right now in terms of investigating and doing clinical trials, etc. Am I right in thinking that? Yes. So actually, in terms of vagus nerve stimulation, which is one of the things that we use for uh, primary headache syndromes, for chronic pain, patients with fibromyalgia, etc. There's a lot of research that was done on invasive vagus nerve stimulation. Um, This was actually approved in 1988 for treatment-resistant epilepsy. Then they approved it for major depressive disorders. And then more recently in 2020, it was approved for cluster headaches and primary sort of uh, primary headache disorders like migraine and tension type headaches. And this is now worldwide, Europe, the UK, it's even part of the NHS. So there are definite like studies that confirm that. There's been studies recently that compares invasive to non-invasive. Because the invasive procedures came with a much more risk mm-hmm. and considerable side effects, there's been a lot of evolving uh, scientific research into non-invasive techniques, which is where the transcutaneous vagus nerve stimulation comes in. So there are actually studies that show that's equally effective to invasive vagus nerve stimulation. However, what they're showing now in the studies are all these studies had variations in terms of the device that was used, the settings of the device in Mm. terms of we are talking about electrical impulses. So we're talking about the actual frequency of the impulse, the duration of the impulse, the pulse width, etc. So because of those variations, there's very little standardization and consistency across the studies. Mm. So what we're actually wanting is larger studies where there is some sort of standardized settings so that we can correlate that into statistically significant 
significant right. like evidence-based treatment plan. So we can say, okay, if you've got chronic pain, these are the settings, this is the duration, this is the length of time you're going to be using this device. If you've got rheumatoid arthritis, these are the settings, etc. So we definitely know that it is completely safe, it's affordable, it's reliable, it's very easy to use. A patient gets training orientation. There is also no risk in terms of introducing it at any time in the treatment plan because there's no drug drug interactions. Yeah. So that is really good for patients. And there's also no limit on the amount of times or frequency they can use the device as such, as long as they've had the training beforehand. Okay. So in safety-wise, it's actually very safe for a patient to use, even though the trials are ongoing, because most of the feedback from the trials are subjective. Patients are reporting improvements in their chronic pain, in their sleep, in their mood. Hmm. And that's where all the research is now heading into, because like I said, initially, this was used for epilepsy, depression, headaches only. But now we seeing because the vagus nerve has got a role not just with connections to the brain, it's very important for inflammation. It's now being used for long COVID syndrome. So it's becoming way more prominent and that is why there's so much studies and research going in to this new transcutaneous, non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation. So if a patient wanted to come and, uh, and, and try it or come and at least start the conversation with you, Karen, you mentioned the word affordable. Uh, I mean, is, is it a device that you have to buy and take home with you to use at home or do you have to come on regular visits to the doctor's well, office? No, How does it work? actually, that's the beauty of this. It's actually a home-based device. Okay. Um, so you can purchase the device directly um, from a healthcare practitioner that has got training in this um, and we help you set up the device. We make sure that you understand the settings, etc. Um, there's also payment plans for patients who may not afford outright the cost of the device. Which is roughly how um, much? So you're looking at for a non-invasive vagus nerve simulator, it's about 13 and a half thousand rand. Okay. Um, currently obviously in South Africa the medical aids are not approving that. They do cover certain of the implantable devices but those are much higher risk procedures and only okay. for epilepsy and major. Okay so there's still limits on how much the medical yes, aids will fund exactly. but one hopes that uh, with more studies to back it up exactly. that, that position changes. Those treatment changes. plans will actually change based on the evidence that's coming out. Okay. So, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of key words around benefits, minimally invasive, uh, reducing dependence on pain uh, and reducing dependence, sorry, reducing dependence on pain medication. Yes. Um, before we out of time, Karen, I mean, I mentioned we all know America has an opioid crisis on its hands. Is it something we worry about here in South Africa as well? Definitely something that we're worried about. Um, in my practice, it's actually an opioid-free clinic, so I don't prescribe opioids at okay. all. One of my main like actual focuses is in getting patients off the opioids when they come to me, the issue in South Africa is it's totally unregulated and patients can actually access this over the counter mm. without a prescription, which is a big concern. And as I said before, early on in this um, interview was that my biggest request from patients is to make sure they understand what's actually causing their pain. Do they have a diagnosis so that they know whether their treatment is correct? As opposed to because of the limitations sometimes patients have in accessing medical care, they go and get these medication over the counter and they don't realize the risk of dependency mm. and what that actually means in terms of future complications uh, without treating the underlying cause. So I definitely think it's something we need to address. We address it in my practice and a lot of the doctors are becoming aware of this opioid epidemic because it's actually a priority to wean these patients off these Absolutely. drugs to begin with.
So then in closing, Karen, if somebody listening to this interview is going, finally, a doctor who is speaking the language I've needed to hear and needs to reach out to you, where do they find you? So um, as you mentioned, I practice from the New Era Hospital in the foreshore. Um, patients are able to access our website. So it's www.drkarenapril.com. You'll find all the contact information there. Um, our telephone number is 021-879-4264. And we also have our business WhatsApp number. And our email address is info at drkarenapril.com. So everything is actually online. And as soon as they send an inquiry, we usually respond to that. And we can help them, even if they're private or on medical aid, and advise them on the different different treatment options available. I also recommend going onto the website just to see all the conditions that are covered, what other type of procedures we offer. Like I said, the vagus nerve stimulation is only one component. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of other minimally invasive procedures that I do for my patients with chronic back pain and neck pain, etc. So it's drkarenapril.com and that's spelled C-A-R-Y-N and then April like the month, drkarenapril.com. Can I just check that number was 879-4264. Is that correct? Karen, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Papa. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.